to another episode of the Marvel Masterworks Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Adam. And with me is my co-host, the Emerald Enthusiast, but for this podcast, the Venom Enthusiast, Johnny. How's it going? Hey, what's up, comic book fans? It's the man whose ring runs on fanboy energy, the podcasting machine, the big nerd in green. It is usually the Emerald Enthusiast, but today you can call me the vociferous Venomaniac as we talk about my favorite Marvel character, Venom. Look at that cup. Ah. That's a nice. That's a nice. Uh, yeah, I'm ready today. Every time you take a sip of that coffee or whatever's in that, in that, Venom's getting a little frisky with you there, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what it's it's water, not green slobber. How about that? <laughs> All right. Now cool. to show everybody here. Like I said, yeah. I'm decked out today. And I've got a, I've got look. I got the right the right universe this time. All right. Yeah. And, we are uh, here, yeah. But we're not only talking about Venom. Uh, we are also going to review, before we talk about Venom, and specifically, just so everybody knows, when we get to the Venom portion of the of the recording, uh, vidcast or podcast, depending on how you're consuming this episode, um, we'll be talking about, we'll be doing a review of the Lethal Protector mm-hmm. storyline way back uh, from the 90s. We won't be reviewing the movie because neither of us have seen Venom, whether it be Carnage yet. So, can't review something we haven't seen. Uh, so, that's what we'll be talking Venom-wise. And uh, before that, we have another episode of What If to, to discuss. This time, we're going to talk about what if uh, Thor what if was a Thor? drunken party fool. <laughs> I don't know if that was the title, but I just made it the title. <laughs> well, that's close. It's what if Thor were an only child? I like my title better. Yeah, <laughs> your uh, title anyway. fits. Yeah. Anyway, and by uh, the way, we both want to see Venom. Let there be carnage. We're just not feeling safe enough to go back to theaters yet. Right. I'm waiting yeah. for a drive-in that's about an hour for me to get it. So right, and I'm waiting for the uh, digital release so I can. Watch it from the comfort of my own home. And I would go to a drive-in, but there's none close to me, so that option is not available. Well, there aren't a lot of drive-ins left in the world. How, how many are left in Canada? Do you have any idea? I don't have an exact number, but it ain't that many. Uh, yeah. And I'll tell you, given what the pandemic has shown us, maybe there should be a resurgence. Yes. I've heard at one point that it was under a dozen in the United States that were active. So... So Maybe I can imagine yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. No, but yeah, um, I think there should be a resurgence, but this is not the uh, drive-in podcast. Uh, uh, <laughs> but when, we, when we've when we both seen Venom, Let There Be Carnage, you can be sure we will be sharing our thoughts on the movie. Okay. On a podcast. So don't yes, worry about will. that. Yes. It's just a matter of when. But before, again, before we talk about Venom, let's talk about the only child version of Thor. Yes. So, Donnie, what was going on? Just a, a brief summation of this episode for the people. Well, when it opened up, we saw Odin defeating the Frost Giants, and he discovers Loki as an infant. This is a familiar scene. Abandoned, and he returns him in this version to Lofi. Yeah, he's like, I don't want to take him. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, that it's understandable, you know, in retrospect. You know, Loki doesn't come without his baggage. However, this obviously changes things for both Loki, who we later see is, you know, uh, looks like a frost giant, you know, and it changes things for Thor as well. So centuries later, we see that Odin's singular son has become a loud, party-loving prince. And it makes sense because this, this is kind of the continuation of the personality we saw from Thor at, at the, the beginning. beginning of Thor. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, the way he behaves when we first see him in Vegas, well, even before Vegas, because his mother, his mother's having a girl's night uh, uh, somewhere, or a girl's getaway weekend, I don't know where it is, mm-hmm. some dimension, some place, that I can't pronounce because it's Norse mythology. Uh, but, and so she leaves um, 
Asgard after uh, Odin goes to sleep mm-hmm. uh, for his hibernation or whatever it is. Yeah, the Odin uh, sleep. The Odin yeah, sleep. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that's that's what it's called. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so every time I go to sleep, I'm gonna call it the Adam sleep. I'm just <laughs> my, my new terminology for it. Um, but um, when I go to sleep, I'm gonna call it the nerdy nap. My version of, of Adam sleep would be like if I did it like Odin style. It would be like, all right, wake me up when the leaves in the cup. Uh, dude, I would. Yeah. We might never. We might never see one another again. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm gonna wake up. There's gonna be flying cars. What I miss? Right. <laughs> exactly. What year is it? <laughs> um, did they win? Oh no, we just woke you up anyway. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, no. Uh, when he so right from when she leaves and he and you know. When, yeah, Frigga leaves while Odin is asleep. So yeah, his name, her name is Frigga. For those who do not Frigga, remember. yeah, not, not yeah. Martha, Frigga. Yeah, but uh, what's your name? <laughs> <laughs> That's got to come to the Marvel universe somehow. But anyway, sure, yeah, really should. So at this point, Thor is left to his own devices, and he travels to Earth to host this kind of gigantic ongoing party with aliens and beings from across the universe. And his arrival attracts the attention of Darcy Lewis and Jane Foster, right. who come to investigate and kind of, you know, join in the revelry. Yeah, I mean, they're doing the same investigation they were at the end of the first, you know, during the mm-hmm. first Thor. Yes. But what I what I find interesting about Thor's sort of behavior, you know, the aloofness, he doesn't care about anything, he's, yeah. you know, drunk. He reminds me of Tony Stark with superpowers and a hammer. It you know it's understandable. Both he and Tony Stark had a huge arc as far as their maturity goes. Right. Yeah. You know, Tony Stark, when we see him, when we meet him at first, he's not all that likable, especially when well, you I hear still about. Like them because so, well, some of the things that he did in his yeah. backstory, you're just like, that's well, a little that, cringy. But I like yeah. the part about you know he, he was with the, the entire Maxim calendar. Like I respected that. I gotta give props for you know. So anyway, like I said, I though, think Tony Stark would have a list much like I do, and you know. I yeah, but what would he marry them though? See, all the virgins of you would be a stand-up guy and actually marry. Well, that, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you I, see, I saw. Let me pat myself on the back. <laughs> like Barry Horowitz. There you <laughs> go. All right. <laughs> so, anyway, Thor warms up to Jane much the way he did in the movie, and acting Shield director at this point. This is Maria Hill. She decides that Thor's out of control, so she summons Carol Danvers. Because Thor's antics have become damaging. Yeah, it's causing a lot of chaos. A lot of damage. Yeah. So she calls in Captain Marvel to end the destruction caused by Thor, and we see one of the best fight scenes in What If, in this whole series. Right, yeah. It, it was really impressive, and they, they actually did the animation, did Captain Marvel's powers justice. Oh yeah, uh, I love how whenever she's appeared in this whole series, they've emphasized her like total badassery, if I, if you mm-hmm. will, yeah. uh, to the point where more so than they have in the in the film so far, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. So there is this huge battle. She's really unable to overcome Thor without really going full out and that's what she's worried about is using her the extent of her entire power so darcy and and hill suggest that she take the fight to somewhere less populated less dangerous to you know the civilians right and jane contacts frigga with the help of heimdall so agent hill or Director Hill, readies a nuclear strike as Captain Marvel and Thor begin to fight again, but Frigga contacts them and says she's coming. So all of a sudden, Thor's like, wait a minute, Mom's coming back home. I gotta settle down. So Thor and the partygoers then set about to clean up the mess before she arrives, and they try to act like nothing was going on. Which, of course, you know, he does give uh, he gives things away when he summons Mjolnir to him, and Mjolnir's covered with like graffiti and, and you know stuff, other yeah, yeah, yeah uh, other you know things other uh, things that that are indicative of a party. So right. yeah, it, 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 uh, <laughs> I first of all, 
Brigga's no dummy. She knows what was going oh, on. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Mom always knows, right? Um, exactly. That's something that they say. Um, I mean, my, I think mothers have like a their version of a spidey a spidey sense, you know. Uh, yeah. And whenever their kids have been secretly getting out of line, you know, they they, they know. L- little uh, squiggly lines come out of their head. Actually, when you, you might, remember, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but you misbehave, you got in trouble from a teacher at school, and somehow you magically came home, and she already knew, and it was like. How does this happen? Well, and, and my, <laughs> my mom was a school teacher, so it was, you know. Oh, you were screwed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, no, but like, it's like this is the days before cell phone and text messaging. So, right. how did they know is the question. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, Moms are magic, there's no doubt. So, indeed. Um, but, um, the, what I liked about it was that uh, they really portray Thor as, as like this. He's essentially an overgrown child. Mm-hmm. Like he hasn't matured. Right. And I think part of that is not having Loki because Loki took up those traits that now Thor has the thing. And Thor became the more responsible one. He always, well, even though he was a little arrogant, mm-hmm. even in the original Thor movie, he was always seemed more responsible than Loki, even though he was arrogant. So I, I, I think because you know, Loki had taken up those qualities in the films. Thor felt the need to, like, smarten up a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, because Loki's not there <coughs> to the same level, uh, <coughs> you know, he, he can, he, <coughs> he doesn't have, he doesn't have the reference of, okay, Loki's behaving like this. You know, dad doesn't appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Mom doesn't appreciate that. I, you know, if I want to be king, I got to act differently. Uh, but I did like that, <coughs> excuse me, even though um, they weren't raised as brothers, they still, when, when they did meet Thor and Loki, mm-hmm. they still had a brotherly kind of bond. Yes, they definitely liked one another. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. So, actually, this episode ends. Thor asks Jane Foster out on a date, but he's interrupted by an army of the Ultron drones led by Ultron himself, who is in Vision's body and wearing this Ultron type of armor and in the possession of the Infinity Stones. Right, yeah, which is... That was a shocking way to end this. Yeah, Absolutely, and uh, let me tell you, Ultron was, was, was a pretty formidable foe. Wow. At least from the MCU perspective before mm-hmm. what if yeah and imagine now with the infinity stones it's even worse yeah but visually he looks incredible right well the the version that we that we we are going to see in the last two episodes that we will talk about right here on multiverse musings the vidcast right we will talk about that shameless plug Appreciate we will it. we will <laughs> we'll talk about that this version kind of evolves and becomes far more powerful than what we saw in age of ultron yeah but what i'm saying is that one was already pretty formidable. Mm-hmm. Now, add the Infinity Stones and Vision's body, and right. we, we got a whole lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, I mean, he was on you know, basically the same level of awareness as the Watcher. So, I mean, you're talking about a pretty profound evolution. So, yeah. but anyway, so. Let me just go back to the episode here. What if Thor, Thor were an only child? I want to say it wasn't my favorite episode, right. but I think it was necessary between all the dark episodes. It was to kind fun, of have yeah. Something yeah. like this is kind of whimsical right. to not like, you know, where you feel like every episode is going to end on a downer and, you know, uh, and, and you have to wait until the end to see something kind of, you know, upbeat. So, right. uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I look, it's not the best episode of the series by any means. Uh, but like I said, I, you needed the break from the from the constant darkness and and, mm-hmm. and 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 you know seriousness, which I wish another you know franchise that that you know got cut short or 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 a, a, I won't say the name, but a five arc uh, film plan got, got cut short because there was too much darkness and seriousness and and oh my god, you know, and you know where I'm going, but I won't say mm-hmm. what, what it is. Because that'll start all kinds of chaos on the internet. But 
you know, so there is good. That's a different podcast. Yeah. No, there is good. There is good. There, there are moments in a, in an overarching story where some levity, a little bit of a break in 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 the in the seriousness of it all, is necessary, and I think this fulfills that void. I will say that this is my favorite uh, piece of Thor material in the MCU since the first film. Oh, okay. I, I uh, the the first film is great, but after the first film, I'd rank this. And then, just barely, uh, Ragnarok, and then uh, Dark World. Uh, but I didn't like either two or three, I'll be honest with you. Thor 2 and Thor 3 are not my cup of tea. I know everybody loves Ragnarok, mm-hmm. but if I wanted to watch um, Flash Gordon, I'd watch Flash Gordon. Okay. <laughs> uh, I want to watch Thor. Um, yeah. So... It wasn't my cup of tea. So this is the second best Thor uh, thing in the MCU so far after the first one. For me, anyway. Right, yeah. I did like Ragnarok. That's a different different podcast, though. We can go on about that some other day. Oh, yeah, we'll do do the Thor stuff on the podcast, yeah. Yeah. So will you give it a rating now before we move on to the comics? Indeed. So what do do, do you think? What are you you, uh, rating it? Wasn't it, uh, do we do letter grade or out of five? I don't remember. Um. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, how about this then? I will give it a either a B or a four. So, and I'm right there with you. Uh, uh, B four for Thor. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're you're on today, man. <laughs> yeah. B four for I'm, Thor. I'm yeah. on caffeine, is what I'm on. <laughs> here's the here's the Tim. Wait, wait, wait. wait let's put it. Tim Hortons advertisement, come on, sponsor us, damn it. Come on. Hey, man. yes, exactly. Free advertisement, come on. We need a sponsor so we can podcast, you know, endlessly. So From the first coffee did the last. Right here. <laughs> uh, which is, this won't be my last one today. I'll have another one later, but espresso, different. Right. Uh, anyway, this is not the coffee podcast. I'll tell you what it won't be. It won't be the Nespresso and that garbage that George Clooney promotes. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> that ain't coffee. That's. Discolored, never mind. <laughs> All right, so now do we go on to? Uh, yeah, Venom. yeah, do we go on to Venom? Okay, the scene I Ven- believe Venom. Uh, give, give Donnie, give some. You're the, you're the. Uh, I mean, I'm a fan of Venom, but you're the, you're the sure. uh, Venom enthusiast. So yes. give us a little background on what led up to to Lethal Protector, which is what we're going to review today. Well, at this point, Venom had been around for about five years. And in Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man number 375, we saw Spider-Man help Venom in a very Mm -hmm. dire situation where the symbiote was weakened. Mm -hmm. He helped save Anne Wayne. Spider-Man does. And at this point, Spider-Man and Venom call a truce. And Venom's like, you don't come after me, I won't come after you. And so from that point, and this was done because Venom had begun to develop such a fan base. And I've got something to say at the end of this podcast, too. I have just a little bit of a rant. Nothing that's not, that's, you know, not PG-13. Nothing that's not child-friendly. That You've never hear. not gone on a, uh, you've never gone on a real rant yet. I'm waiting for, I mean, there was the Hulk one, the, the mm-hmm. mini Hulk one that you had. The other episode, we, we talked about the Hulk where we agreed. But, yeah. but. Yeah, I've yet to see you go. Donnie, you're going to go on one of my rants. Yeah, no, this is a, I, something that I feel like needs to be said. But Venom was a character that, despite the fact that it was the 90s, the late 80s and into the 90s, Venom was a breakout character, and people wanted to see more of Venom than just in the Spider-Man books. Sure, yeah. So Lethal Protector was his first titular book. Venom Lethal Protector number one. Mm-hmm. So the stage is set... Eddie Brock has moved out to San Francisco. And Lethal Protector number one opens with Eddie saving a woman from being robbed and possibly either sexually assaulted or assaulted either way uh, in a dark alley. Right. And Venom intervenes on this woman's behalf. And he, just in case you haven't figured it out from the title Lethal Protector, he has no problems 
using lethal force. And this is this is one of the like best Venom scenes there are out there that exists because you can see this and see Venom's personality as an anti-hero here. He intervenes on this woman's part and he suffocates her attacker with the symbiote by shooting the symbiote down his throat. He kills the guy and then so turns around to the yeah, turns around to the woman and says, "Oh, uh, I'm sorry. We're being rude." I'm Venom. <laughs> I remember reading that for the first time and I could not stop laughing. My favorite part was when he taps her on the head. And he passed her. And said, you can say thank you now. And then he, and he actually he says, no, no thanks are needed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he leaps away and she's crying and she screams and runs away. <laughs> she's traumatized. Yeah. I, I cannot get enough of that scene. That scene is just so beautiful. So. Yeah. So Venom then transforms into Eddie because again he has he's out in San Francisco, but he doesn't have a home yet. He doesn't have anything permanent there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he transforms to Eddie. By the way, this is drawn by Mark Bagley. There is a change in pencilers midway through. But Eddie looks gloriously 90s here. He's got the mullet, he's got the midriff bearing tank top. And you know the 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 big jeans, and it's just very nineties. I, I want to say something about the, the whole mullet fiasco. <laughs> was that a thing? Like, was that particular to the U.S.? Because I remember in Canada in the nineties, I didn't see too many mullets. They they were in plentitude here in the U.S., and a lot of comic book characters had them too. Superman. Yeah, I know, I know, yeah. but it must have been like. Mainly an American trend because here I didn't see many mullets that I can recall. It was a very 80s, 80s thing. You look back at, go back and look at like uh, music videos, uh, professional wrestling. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That kind of, oh, very no, I, get, I get yeah. it. It's just, I don't yeah. think it was, it was very prevalent in Canada. I'm sure okay. some people had it, but mm. it wasn't like, you know. Well, that, that's probably a good thing that it wasn't in plenitude in Canada, so yeah. <laughs> where, where you were. So. Right, yeah. Yeah, so we see a, a major storyline. The jeans to... were, the jeans were, I will say. Oh, yeah. Jeans, I remember. Right. And, and you know, I'm going to confess, I wore lots of FUBU back in the day. You remember <laughs> what the Road Warriors were? You know, the big yeah, FUBU oh, pants? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Had lots of those. Anyway, so we can go down memory lane another time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But we see that Eddie is immediately approached by the police, and they try to take him in for the murder of a guard at the vault. Now, again, this is going to come into play right away. Let's not, you know, uh, let's not romanticize things here. At this point, Eddie has killed some some innocent people before his baby face turned. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't have those old murders to deal with because yeah. he does. Yeah. And that's part of what makes this character th so great. It's there's a lot of complexity with He's these storylines. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So Eddie gets away from the police. He's trying to find somewhere to stay when he comes upon some seemingly transient people in a park and they are getting assaulted, which naturally Eddie intervenes as Venom because he's like, you know, these innocent, powerless people are getting assaulted. So, of course, he comes to their aid. Meanwhile, in Manhattan, we see that Peter Parker is watching the news and he's getting the stories about Venom seemingly attacking people. Yeah. And so, of course, you know, based on what he knows of Venom, why would he not assume that? So he hops on a plane and goes out to the West Coast. Right Where, here, there's a piece of dialogue that you can guarantee was, you, you, if you didn't know this was from the 90s, you'll know right in the scene where he calls Mary Jane I, 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 yeah. to the extent of, uh, sweetheart, pack me a bag. And it's like, buddy, if you tried that <laughs> in 2021, the other end of the phone would sound something like this. <laughs> pack your own effing bag, you misogynist, and then hang up the phone. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the 90s. Yeah, well, and Mary Jane looked very '90s in that too. She had on the aerobics outfit with the, you know, the big hair. Yeah, and there was a shot where she was like looking out the window, and I'm like, "Hey, man, I'm getting the view." <laughs> <laughs> it's coming now. This is later on. I'm like, hey, yeah. 
<laughs> well, yeah, Mary I mean, that's Jane, comic uh, book Mary Jane, mm. if she was a real person, would be on I'm the not. list. <laughs> so, Peter sees that Venom, like I said, he's out in California. Yeah. And so he arrives at that park, and Venom is angered by the fact that Spidey is breaking their agreement. He's like, you said you would stay away. Yeah. So, but in the middle of this, the goons who had been attacking the seemingly transient people, they turn on both Spider-Man and Venom. Right. So, Eddie, again, remember at this point, Eddie uh, and Venom, they don't set off Spider-Man's Spider-Sense. So, he can once he like kind of get gets away from Spider-Man's you know uh, normal senses, then Spider-Man can't can't have you know any way of tracking him. Right. So Eddie actually <coughs> leaves with the people and goes underground, and we find out that these people <coughs> actually live underground, where there's a group of these like giant robotic digger exosuits that have men inside them. They are from Roland Trees who's part of the Life Foundation. And these people are kind of under attack by these giant, like, digger exosuits. Right. Now, the interesting thing is when when Venom was fighting with, with the guy in the exosuit, mm-hmm. and they sort of fell through and fell into this other, other you know, other city, if you will, mm-hmm. or underground city. Right. I think the guy in the exosuit says, because they're wearing, like, Clothing not of the time, mm-hmm. some of the people. And, it's kind and, of a, yeah, it's kind of an analog world. Yeah, so the guy is like, "What are we time travel? Something about time travel." So when the issue ends, I'm like, "Wait a minute!" Because I, this is my first time actually reading the full story. I'm like, "Wait, wait, there's time travel in the Venom book? I didn't know." And then in issue two, it was like, "No, it's not." Yeah. Time. And then they explained that. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, what, cool, what, but I was kind of hoping for time travel. Well. Yeah, I'm, you, I'm, you, you get it with other Venom stories, but oh, actually yeah. the line is uh, Venom is fighting with these diggers and these giant, like, you know, huge digger exos, exosuits, right. these men in them, and he's having quite the time with them because they're enormous, yeah. and they also have a thing called a sonic Almost shovel. like Hulkbusters kind of thing. I yeah, they look kind of like that. And yeah. again, they have sonic weapons, so those affect Venom. And at one point, they fall through the floor, yeah. and he says, this is bigger than your petty bloodlust, Look around, we've fallen through time. Yeah. And what, like I said, what it is is that they, they've fallen into this underground city, that, which is kind of an analog world that we'll learn more about as this progresses. But that's how issue number one ends. Right. Yeah. So issue number two, Venom is continuing to fight these men in these exosuits who hurt him, again, with a thing called a sonic shovel. It's a thing that they were kind of using to kind of break the ground under underneath the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, again, Venom has no problem ending a fight quickly. He kills the men in the exosuits. Yeah. Nope. yeah. No reservation whatsoever about killing the bad guys. Yeah. So later on, we will learn what Roland Treese was actually after. But for the meantime... Venom goes with these underground dwellers to like, you know, they're they're like, you know, city council. And he's asked to like basically he asked to stay with them and he's rejected. You know, they know about him. They know he's dangerous. Yeah, I thought that was rude. Well, I mean, you can see, I mean, these are obviously people who, you know, they are a lot of them were, were very nervous, you know, the, and just nervous about, you know, contact. I, get, with, I mean, with, I get why, because yeah, with the surface world, yeah. Just, you know. From their perspective, he transforms into a monster. So yeah, yeah. right. But yeah, yeah, I mean, you're right. He saved them. You like, know, he, he did save you. You yes, <laughs> um, and it wasn't it wasn't a full agreement. We we see later on that some some of these people were yeah, advocating they were very for split. him. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So Spider Man decides to go see Eddie's father, Carl Brock, for answers about his son. And let me say this, Carl Brock, I, I can't overstate just how important Carl Brock is to the development of Eddie and Venom. You know, we talk about Eddie is looked at a lot and Venom is looked at a lot as a character dependent on Spider-Man. This starts to develop Eddie before his adulthood and we start to see things. We'll get into this a little bit later. 
we start to see things that gives you a much greater look into Eddie Brock's personality. Yeah, and you get the sense right off the bat, before they even go into the full-blown, you know, backstory, just from his early interactions with Peter, you get the sense that this guy is a jerk and in nowhere near uh, Father of the Year material. <laughs> By no means, yeah. You know? Yeah. So we at the end of this issue, we see the jury that comes out to confront Venom. There's a lot of new characters introduced in this to kind of develop Venom's world outside of Spider-Man's world. Right, yeah, That's yeah, what yeah. I like about this. Yeah. So the jury is led by people comprised of members of the families of Venom's victims, including the leader, and that is General Orwell Taylor. And they come after Venom, and he is... He is the father, again, of Hugh Taylor, who was one of the guards at the vault that right. Venom murdered. <clears throat> yeah. Now, if you remember, Venom was very, you know, kind of sad and broken up about having to do that. He was very conflicted, even before this story. But he felt like he was justified because he had this mission of killing Spider-Man. So, again, you see that Venom is not a character who, you know, he's complex. He can kind of go either way morally. Yeah, he's very selective who he wants to kill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. so what was your initial reaction to the jury? I mean, I like the idea that they're that they're formed from people, you know, relatives of people that Venom's murdered. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, and again, it's kind of like, the literal manifestation of your your past mistakes coming back to bite you in the rear end. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Right. So yeah, uh, it's a great. Uh, you know, I think it's a great uh, uh, coalition of people. And, and again, you you you're in a stage where in Venom's history, where you're trying to build out his world independently from Spider-Man. So you have to come up with something. That... And again, we we see a lot of that here. So. Issue two ends, issue three picks up with that fight. The jury, again, armed with Sonics, armed with uh, mech suits that kind of look a little bit like Iron Man's, and they they attack Venom. He is still able to kind of fight them to a standstill, and he's able to escape. Mm. So meanwhile, Spider-Man, he's still on Venom's trail, but we also learn at this point from... A woman named Sharon Dempsey, who is the housekeeper of Carl Brock. And I can't, I want to, like, everybody, you, you, you need to listen to this. If you've never read this story, this is so important to Eddie Brock's development. We learned that Eddie's mother, Jamie, died giving birth to Eddie. And Carl always resented Eddie after that. Eddie was desperate for his approval, whether it was his grades in school or excelling in athletics, or later on, his uh, journalism career. He was always desperate for Carl's approval, and Carl would not give it to him. And then, when the Sin Eater hoax happened, he Carl completely severs all of his ties with Eddie. So, Eddie was a traumatized child who became a traumatized, bitter adult. Full of self-loathing, and full of loathing for his father. So, really, Spider-Man was just a scapegoat. Spider-Man was this external tormentor that Eddie looked at and said, oh, if I can just rip that from my life, I'll be happy. Right. When really, it was all this past trauma, decades of it, that he was dealing with. And he kind of projected that onto Spider-Man. Right, right, right. Um. Yeah, no, it, it was very, uh, like, you You instantly start to feel for Eddie when you see that, those flashbacks play out. And, um, you know, even Spider-Man comments on this, like, you know, I, I actually feel sorry for him. Um, but, you know, it's, it's terrible the way the father treated him, uh, but... I'm not saying I condone it, but it's not out of the realm of reality that somebody would have those feelings. Mm -hmm. 
right? If they lost their wife due to childbirth, you know, yeah. like I said, I don't condone anybody treating their kid like that because, you know, of complications, you know, and the mother and the wife, uh, you know, died because of the, 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 the birth. But it, it's a it's a reaction that is plausible, believable. Well, and like I said, that's why, for me, that's why Venom as a character and why Eddie Brock spoke to me so much is that even as a comic book character, you understood Eddie's motivation. Yeah. And you can you can see how that would how Eddie's mother dying and profoundly affecting his father would then affect Eddie. So there were there was an element of reality to this, even yeah. though it involved the living costume that you understood. Yeah, I mean, there's an alien symbiote, but at the core, that kind of scenario is very down to earth and realistic. So issue number three, by the way, the first appearance of Roland Treese. Venom is continually uh, pursued by the jury. Treese actually shows up in a helicopter and airlifts Venom away. And he's like, you know, I'd rather have you as my ally. And he was like, you know, I want to make you my new head of security. But of course, it's... I like Venom's reaction. Is there pay? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, and I, I really love the, the humorous touches with the character, so. Oh, yeah, and it's nice to see that that was a part of the character, you know, from early on. So oh, yeah. Not, not like people can say, oh, the movie's just pulling that out of the rear end, you know. No, 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 no. So, like I said, it's a double cross. What Treese actually wants are spawns of the symbiote. Yeah, yeah. Th- this is kind of a goal of the Life Foundation. So issue four, notice there is an art change here. Ron Lim um, takes over from Mark Bagley. I prefer Bagley's style, but that doesn't mean anything is wrong with Lim's style at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did, But if you've ever seen, you know, Venom rendered uh, with kind of the jagged eyes and r- rendered even, even bigger, actually, than the way that Bagley did it. So you can yeah. see, you know, immediately the, the change in art style. So and we see the first female symbiote. And that is right away, uh, within the first few pages, we see Donna Diego, and that is Scream. Okay. And she attacks Spider-Man. Now, she does not beat Spider-Man. Obviously, Spider-Man is a, uh, a seasoned hero at this point. And she's actually evacuated by a hovercraft. And Spidey stows away on this hovercraft to see that Eddie has been imprisoned and separated, forcibly separated from the symbiote by Carlton Drake of the Life Foundation. Obviously, that you know he's somewhat different in the movie than he is in the comics, but that yeah. should be you know a familiar name to you if you've seen the movie. So, Definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah. The interesting thing about um, uh, when um, um, Spider-Man was fighting. Uh, the whole banter where he's like you know normally i won't hit a woman but <laughs> when she's when she's trying to kill me i make an exception well yeah he, he doesn't have much choice there does he so so the uh, th- there's also an interesting uh scene in this venom is being held in this uh like sonic bubble yeah and yeah, yeah. he actually like retracts the symbiote and uses his own arm to get out of the bubble because remember he is not only you know does he have control of the symbiote like that but Eddie Brock has world class strength right yeah so you know even without the symbiote he's still a dangerous and individual. I, I like the way Eddie and the symbiote talk that through right where it's like yeah yeah this well, is that, I can't I can't help you in this situation because of the Sonics and all that but you can you can get us out. Yeah, and I like that, and that's what the movies, in my opinion, get right. Venom, in, at at first, Venom was a character dependent on Spider-Man. Right. But he did not, he wasn't that way beyond Lethal Protector, and that's what I'm going to get to at the end of this episode. This is 
Venom becoming his own character, breaking away. And yeah. part of the reason why he is so appealing is because he's actually two characters in one. It's Eddie Brock. It's a symbiote. The two of them together. That's what why the movie works so well. It's about the relationship between those two. Yeah. Some people even call it a weird love story. Which I would agree with, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so issue number five, we actually see that the Life Foundation's plan comes to fruition. We see five symbiotes. Scream, whom we already saw. Lasher, Riot, Phage, and Agony. And I really like <laughs> the scene where Spider-Man's looking at him. He's like, F -f 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 five Venoms? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was great. And the art in that scene was great. When you see them all grouped together. Yeah. And you, like looking, you, Spider-Man's looking at like you're getting a POV shot of like over the shoulder of Spider-Man looking Spider at. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was cool. And they're uh, all coming at him, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I remember reading that, you know, this, the, the word bubble is perfect. F -f 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 five Venoms? And I like when he's like, I should have stayed in New York. <laughs> so the Life Foundation, they're actually an elitist survivalist group born out of paranoia. And they think when, you know, there's the world ends that they're going to use these symbiotes as their security. However, again, Spider-Man is, is a veteran fighter, a veteran hero, yeah. and he actually is able to handle all five of them. Because he knows how to use his powers. Sure, yeah. Eddie, who is seemingly dead for a while, he's only mostly dead. He's not all dead. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's the, that's the uh, motto of comics. Yeah. <laughs> so he actually recovers, even though he's been separated from the symbiote, and he joins Spidey in the fight. Um, now, he's naked for several pages. And yeah. luckily, we don't see more than we'd like to. But you would think Spidey would be like, oh, you're naked. Let, let me web you up some boxers here, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, why not? Yeah. So they actually hold off the other symbiotes with some sonic blasters. Then eventually, Eddie finds the Venom symbiote again. And I like how Spider-Man was like, I can't believe that I just helped Eddie find you know, the symbiote. Yeah, and like, I just told him to be one again. Told me I'd be helping him find it. Yeah. yeah, and of course Eddie. Um, what? Uh, there's been several versions of this line in the comics, but I like it so much. He's like, "For once again, and forever, we are Venom." Yeah, that was a great line. <laughs> that was a great line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, loved it. So, actually, and and again, you see an interesting uh, scene here. Um. Spider-Man and Venom are trying to decide, you know, what to do, you know, to put these symbiotes down. And, of course, Venom is like, well, let's just use some of this tech around us. And if we kill them, we kill them. So what? You know, they made their choice. And Spider-Man's like, we don't know if the humans inside are possibly victims. And Venom's like, ah, so what? Whatever, you know. <laughs> and so... Sounds, sounds like my, my reaction to a certain group of people right now. Uh, <laughs> That's a different podcast. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, so what Venom does is he's like, you know, I promised you I wouldn't kill you, Spider-Man, but I didn't say anything about knocking you out. So he snakes the symbiote <laughs> around Spider-Man and knocks him out. So, which at the time, you know, he kind of blasts the symbiotes and the, the people do survive, but the symbiotes are put down temporarily. So yeah, and then when Spider-Man wakes up, he's like, "What'd you do?" He's like, "What? What if they? What if they didn't survive?" He's like, "But they did." Well, they did. He's like, is there no pleasing you, Spider-Man? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so after Venom knocks out Spider-Man, Carlton Drake tries to blow them both up, but Spidey and Venom get away separately. Mm. Now, issue number six opens up with Venom having escaped the Life Foundation, and he's actually at the estate of Roland Treese. And he terrorizes one of one of Treese's confidants, this is Mr. Crane, mm -hmm. into telling him, him being Eddie, what Treese wants with this underground society in San Francisco. And what we learn is actually that part of the ground fell during the earthquake of 1906. Which, which is actually, a, real, yeah. a real earthquake, yes. Yeah. And this society sprung up from that part of the ground that fell underneath. Okay. However, there's gold bullion down there. Of course there is. Yeah. So, so a rich person wants to get richer. That's what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And we'll do whatever he has to to get rich. 
Yeah, exactly. So we see also, though, the the exosuited diggers that we talked about earlier on right, that, right. that Eddie fought, they had also terrorized the people underneath the ground. And Treese was worried that some witnesses may come forward, so he wanted to eliminate them. Mm-hmm. So the other part of his plan is to set off charges that's going to kill anyone who may have witnessed that. <laughs> so... Yeah. Eddie, of course, hurriedly, frantically tries to get to them. And Spider-Man catches up to him. And in what is, I think, not only my favorite moment in this, but one of my favorite Venom moments just in all of his stories, is you really see the anti-hero transformation here because he's like, Spider-Man, you have to help me. Yeah, yeah, we need you. I remember. Oh my gosh, I remember reading that and like almost feeling tears in my eyes because all of a sudden Venom's like, "No matter how much I hate you, I've got to save these people. Please so, help me." Yeah. So the interesting thing for me is that, first of all, in terms of just to go back with that Mister Crane character, mm-hmm. I just want to say, in some multiverse, he's related to Jonathan Crane, maybe a cousin, something of that nature, or even better. Is he's he's he basically what I'd like them to do, Sony, you know, is in part three of Venom because there's there will be a part three. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'd like to see a scene, you know, to c- continue playing on the comedy of a, a special appearance by a famous uh, Dr. Crane, and that is Dr. Fraser Crane. And mm-hmm. I'd like to see Count, uh, Venom and Eddie undergoing counseling, couples counseling from uh, Dr. Fraser Crane. That would be fantastic. I'd watch that movie. <laughs> that would be one. Eddie, uh, tell me about your relationship with your father. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sony, uh, get on that. You know, ASAP. Of course, you know Roz would hit on Eddie Brock. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Who didn't yeah. she hit on? Right. So, Venom and Spider-Man. She had partners, then I have multiverse wife. So well, then... that's, yeah, that's true. So, uh, no judgment, you know. Um, So, so Spider-Man and Venom get to where Treese is, and they're immediately attacked by men men in the exosuits. And during this battle, and Spider-Man is basically able to, like, turn one against the other. Like, he's able to make one malfunction and destroy the other. Venom goes after Roland Treese. In the battle, this fire erupts around this trailer that Treese runs into. And so Venom is forced to put himself through an enormous amount of physical pain to get to Roland Treese because he's got to send the symbiote through the fire. Right. In, in a really powerful scene. So but he's, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. A couple of things, though. Uh, I, there was a scene where after, you know, Venom does the whole asking Spider Man for help. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a scene where they join up, like like they they agree to you know work together. Yeah. Where Venom is in the foreground and right behind them, over his shoulder, Spider-Man. You know, yeah. they're doing their heroic. You know, Venom yeah. is crouching and yeah. Spider-Man is standing. You know, very heroically. That that image, one of my favorites of the uh, uh, of the whole Lethal Protector storyline. The two of them together like that was was amazing, and then. The other one is, you know, you said Venom, uh, Eddie and Venom have to go through the fire. That whole sequence was so heroic. Like, you throw some Hans Zimmer music behind that, and you got some, <laughs> you know, and then, and then on top of that, from a character point of view, it really shows you the transition, as you were saying, from, you know, villainous, you know, Venom to heroic venom because he's willing to put his his own safety on the line <clears throat> into something that can legitimately hurt him or worse to save innocent people and the dialogue is perfect here spider-man sees this happen and he he asks eddie he said how could you put yourself through something like that and venom looks at him and said would you have done any less yeah that that's awesome <laughs> love that scene yeah it was great so the story ends with Spider-Man returning to New York. Venom is actually approached by Elizabeth and Ethan from this underground society, and he's accepted as their protector. 
at the end right. of the story. Yeah, and I, yeah, I, I think it's a coming of full circle kind of thing. I like I said. I mean, this is one of my favorite stories. Uh, you know, there's a lot of good Venom stories out there. There's a lot of you know. There, we just recently had the series that you and I reviewed, number two hundred here. Oh, a lot of great writing that. in that. Yeah, a and lot of great number one. And we're getting number one now, mm -hmm. and that's going to be Donnie. The first time I'm collecting physically Venom. Mm -hmm. Like I'm so excited. I was so because um, you know I got two hundred via digital because I was getting the previous. Venom series digitally, but I was so impressed with with 200 that I made the decision that if they relaunch Venom, I was going to put it on my pull list. Mm -hmm. And when I saw the creative team, <laughs> you know, uh, of uh, it was Al, Al Ewing and Ram V on writing, mm -hmm. and then and then Brian Hitch on art. I said, yeah. You know, you know the gif of of, of uh, Futurama where he's like, "Shut up and take my money." Take my money. <laughs> take my money. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean that, that 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 swayed me, but but I I love this story because there's a lot of full circle moments. It's the full circle moment of of, of Eddie being accepted by this community, but also of Venom going from like as I as I just said villain to hero and um side you know a, a part of being a side character to a fully formed character in his own right so a lot of full circle moments happening in the story so what would you rate this story so now we're doing art and uh yeah, and art and story, story. So we're doing five out of five both times yeah. right mm -hmm. so i'm gonna say from a story point of view it's an absolute five uh, like I like I said, I loved it. It gave me just the right amount of, of backstory mm -hmm. from both his first appearance in the Amazing Spider-Man and then the backstory with his father in his youth. And it, and again, all the moments where it, it sets something up and then it comes full circle. It did that three times in, in the six-issue story, uh, and, and it just the the balance of you know. Uh, the fear and violence that Venom can can extol on, on people, mm -hmm. but also the humor and heroics that Venom can can be about. It's a beautiful balance, that, and I think they get all the ingredients just right in there for a very satisfying uh, meal of a story. So I'm going to say a five story-wise. Art is a 4.5, just okay. because I like Bagley's art a smidge better than... Uh, then Lim, and when they made the transition, you could tell it was a different artist. Like it wasn't. Yeah. Sometimes in the transition of from one artist to another, it's so minuscule that you that it just flows and you can't really tell. Like your eye doesn't pick it up, but here the eye, you know, my eye noticed it. So it's like it was a little. I got used to it, and I, and I like Ron Lim. It's not. A, there's another knock on Ron Lim. Mm -hmm. But I just prefer Bagley, and, and it, I just on on that note, uh, I can't believe how how many years Mark Bagley has drawn Spider-Man for. Mm -hmm. Like he did what a hundred or so issues of of Ultimate. Yeah, he yeah he is a very prolific <laughs> creator. Yeah. So so yeah, so it's a four and a half story, and uh, sorry, four and a half art and five story. I'm going to go five and five again. The, the change, I, even though I do prefer Bagley's a little bit to Limbs, it wasn't such a, a shock to me that it det it detracted in any way from the story. So I'm going to say five story, five art. Great. Perfect. Uh, so, you know, Donnie and I have made an effort to uh, um, <clears throat> we've said that one of the things we're gonna one of the a couple of the characters we're gonna get key in on because we're, we're really gonna I mean we're gonna cover a bunch of different Marvel stuff and DC stuff on our other on our other podcast but we want to key on uh, specific favorite characters of ours more, more so you know we want to throw some more attention so Donnie and I have said that you know we're gonna uh, key in on Spider Man we're gonna key on Venom. And for my own, the purposes of my machinations, we're going to focus on Daredevil. 
and it'd be it'd be cool to get Donnie, you know, some more Daredevil exposure because I, I I venture you haven't read too much. Not recently, but I do like Daredevil. Okay, I have so, read some in the past. Yeah. So and so what we're gonna yeah. do is in that spirit, I was roughly talking about to Donnie about you know really uh, going uh, going uh, more deeper in on Venom and what we might end up doing is in addition to covering the new ongoing, which comes out at the end of October, um, we're also thinking about doing something that we, we're doing for Green Lantern and Kyle Rayner, where we go back and, you know, track the history of the character. We may do that with Venom as well, uh, and we'll, we'll set that up. So that's our plan. We're going to do a deep dive, a deep dive into Venom. Deep dive, yeah. So, and again, so, I have, before we sign off, though, I definitely want a couple of minutes yes, to say your, something. Now you do your, do your rent. Go ahead. Okay. Should um, I get popcorn? Uh, yeah, get your popcorn ready. Uh, I don't right. have it, but damn it. I should have saved uh, that donut for this. <laughs> Again, this won't be anything that a kid can't hear, but something <clears> I feel <throat> like I need to say. This story was written by writer David Michelinie, and there are people who want to deny David Michelinie his place in creating Venom. Now, it's true that he didn't create the idea of the black costume being a living entity. It's also true that Todd McFarlane created a visually stunning character, and that definitely led to Venom's success. Of course. But as someone who was there from the start, let me say that Michelinie caught lightning in a bottle. Venom is a character who is greater than the sum of his parts. Much like Wolverine and Deadpool, he had intangibles that led the character to become far greater than anyone could have imagined at the start. Michelinie blended horror touches, dark comedic elements, and a traumatic backstory to form a unique personality for Eddie Brock and, by extension, Venom. After Lethal Protector, Venom was no longer dependent on Spider-Man to be a marketable character. Venom, as we know, is actually two characters in one, and both sides of Venom were fleshed out to be a complicated individually and complicated collectively character. Venom became a breakout phenomenon at a time before blockbuster movie franchises, before TV comic book adaptations. That was really difficult to do, yet we know the results. Yeah, There are fans who, who were absolutely assured that Venom would not work without Spider-Man on the big screen. They said that he was popular originally because of his appearance, and that novelty has worn off. That's what they said. And yet here we are. Now Venom is starring in his second blockbuster film. Now, for those of us who immersed ourselves in Venom as a titular character in the 1990s, it's not a shock at all. While both Matt Gargan and Flash Thompson were successful to varying degrees as Venom, neither one rivaled the wild popularity of the original version. David Michelinie laid the groundwork for this character to become a cultural phenomenon. The fact is, what he and Todd McFarlane did was magic. And that's all I have to say. Yeah, I mean, look, you have to give... Uh, we've said it on this podcast. Comics really is about, you know, the most successful characters and story, stories are the, the perfect coming together of story and art. Mm -hmm. You know, you may have... A really good story but if the design is not up to snuff then if it's not nice to look at mm -hmm. a big part of comics is i'm looking at this thing you know so sure, sure. I, I gotta i gotta enjoy what i look what i'm looking at but at the same time you can have the i mean jim jim lee could draw you the greatest character in the world in the world todd mcfarland can draw you the greatest character looking character in the world but if the story is you know, paint by the numbers. It's not gonna. It's not either the series isn't gonna last, or the character isn't gonna be popular enough to get his own series. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just want to say that because I've seen, and I actually recently saw Michelini make some comments on it that people are just like, "Well, you didn't really create Venom." Again, I think I just spoke my mind on this character. I was there from the start, and this captured my imagination in a way that made me a comic book fan for life. And, and, and just to your talk on the movies, you know, what we'll say is that, look, the, 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 you know, the Venom Let There Be Carnage opened to 90 million its first weekend. 
Um, the first which, movie made almost a billion dollars. Which is which is yeah, which is ten million over the opening weekend of of the first Venom. Right, the first Venom made eighty point something. This one made ninety point something. Uh, now look. That's impressive, given that we're in a in in a, in a pandemic situation. But as of this weekend, it's going into its second weekend. Mm-hmm. It's most likely going to drop to second place because there's a new James Bond movie out. Okay. The drop is probably going to be quite steep. Could and be, I'm sure. sure you're gonna and I'm sure you're gonna read articles saying, "Oh, look at the decline of Venom. Look at the you know look at the, the, the second week drop." There are very logical explanations for that drop. I, had, I can tell you before I even see it. There's a brand new James Bond out the week after Venom. So right there, that's taking eyeballs away from Venom. There's also a pandemic. Now, in past years, if you liked the movie, you wanted to go see it again, you'd have no problem. You'd have no, sure. no qualms about going back to the theater a second time. In a pandemic, I barely want to go the first time, let alone right. back again. Right. I haven't even so, thought about going to a movie since it started. <laughs> so so the repeat viewings in theaters are going to suffer because of that. Right. And because there were so, again, because there were so many delays with movies, we're going to have release upon release upon release. No movie is going to have, you know, in, you know a, a week or two in between with minimal to no competition. And big drops are going to be the follow. But I think the studio is going to look at that opening weekend and say, if all things were normal and we would have had a week or two to ourselves, Venom Let There Be Carnage would have probably finished with either more or around the same total gross as the first Venom. So they'll push ahead with the third. Oh, yeah. I think. And when, when this thing hits streaming, it's going to break streaming yes. records. Streaming, when it hits home video, when it hits field, Blu-ray, yeah. streaming and home video are going to propel it to another level. Yes. So, look, it's probably in the in the grand scheme of things, it's going to make less than the original, probably quite a bit less. Mm-hmm. But and you're going to see doom and gloom articles because that's what gets clicks. Yeah. But I'm just telling you, I just outlined the reasons. And for all the box office prognosticators. Oh, oh, look at the success of it. We're we're out of it. No more delays for movies anymore. Folks, I'm glad Venom Let There Be Carnage is doing well. I'm glad it exceeded expectations. I'm glad I'm glad that the projections for a James Bond movie are good. I'm glad that movies people are going to the movies again that feel comfortable. But the situation we we're in is very, very you know, uh, tenuous, very, it's ever changing. Mm-hmm. So this, we're out and no more movie delays. By December, that could change. Exactly. So, and it, and it could change from place to place too. Yeah. So, you know? so let's just look. Do we like going to movies? I'm going to, I'm, I'm echoing Venom. Do we like going to movies? Yes. And if we, if we like going to movies, then we still have to, to carefully, tread through the situation we're in because it's not over so these movie prognosticators have to stop fooling themselves and you know the the people that that follow them and and people that want to go to the movies we got to stop fooling ourselves this is not a normal situation we're in still you know and so when we're looking at these numbers Let's be mindful of that. And so, if you see the clickbait, because you're going to—I guarantee you're going to see it. Don't. I'm sure the studio is prepared for what's about to happen. So, I think we're going to see a, definitely a third Venom, and who knows what else. Yes. So, before we go, I also want to recommend the Venomnibus. If you're looking for a Christmas look gift, beautiful, that yeah. cover. look at that cover. Mm-hmm. That is a beautiful. And you'll see on the back all the all the books, all the miniseries that this collects. Um, it's not cheap, but it is well worth it. I that love is this. A, that is a foreign object, man. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if I hit Matt Riddle with this, I'd knock him out. So. Oh, I'm gonna go. I'm, I'm gonna go uh, just walk around and see if I see any more, 
moronic protesters that are, that are, that, 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 that are ridiculous. <laughs> Walking around with, well, actually, I don't want to go near them because they're unvaccinated. But right. <laughs> you know, um, if if I had a hazmat suit on, I'd go hit them from behind with that with that <laughs> omnibus. <laughs> but I digress. Um, definitely, we're gonna, there's going to be a lot more venom talk, a lot more spidey talk on, on this show. So if you like that stuff, uh, then stay tuned. Uh, and if you want to talk more venom, but don't spoil the movie. For Donnie and myself, you can. Donnie, where can they find you on the socials? You can find me on Twitter as the Emerald Enthusiast. Let's talk collectibles. Let's talk comics. Let's talk Venom. And if you want to talk to me about Venom or Spider-Man or any Marvel character or any DC character or even wrestling, you can do that at Adam underscore Leafs fan. We have a podcast Twitter account at MMNPDC and we have a Facebook group if Facebook is more your thing and it's uh, in the description below and it is working yeah. not down <laughs> it is now yeah click it oh, yeah. I will add you and we can continue the conversation there but until next time remember that Venom is forever. From the first time Eddie Brock bonds with the symbiote to the last. So long, everybody. So long, everyone.